0: So I want to thank Marilyn Stargard for doing this um, and prayers for her family. Her mother-in-law passed away this week, and she was writing devotions for her family and took the time to, to just remember us and still write that. So it's been one of those weeks. The Lord has must have decided he was low on people this week. So he's been calling several of our members home, um, one of them being our head elder at Redeemer, Mike Raisler. His wife is our preschool director here, Pat so you've probably seen her a lot. So he just, um, yeah, it was very suddenly the Lord said, Mike, I need you up here. So he's up there. So a little hard week at church when, um, you know, one of your leaders dies. Uh, it took me a few days to get to that point because it was like, oh, wait, yeah, he's, he's the church elder and leader too, but he's my friend first. So it's getting over that. So I am very prepared for this lesson today, but I feel my delivery might be a little off, a little... Uh, Stressful week with that. And then um, uh, one of our other members who, who was older, and you know, but um, Gordy Meisel also passed away yesterday. Um, he His wife actually was the preschool director at West Maple, two directors because I was the director before Pat, and then Bonnie was the director there. And um, Gordy's actually the reason that, I, that we're here, because a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, I talked about gifts of the spirit and using your talents to work with the gifts that, that the spirit gives you. And my grandma's gift was always going out and helping people and visiting everybody. Well, she was with her cookies probably at the nursing home visiting Gordy's mom, who was, they were related, their cousin's. Um, uh, Gordy's dad and my grandma are cousins. And then she ran into Gordy and you know he says, hey, how's your son-in-law that's a pastor? And one thing led to another. And so we ended up a redeemer. So well, those connections too. And then Ginny, another one of our older members who was ready to go to the Lord. She's, she went at her funerals this week also. Um, you know that, But still sad to lose your mom even when they're ready. So And then a little... I didn't think I'd be as stressed about this, but as I said last week, this is the... As soon as I'm done here, we move our son too. To, to Pittsburgh, which he's twenty seven, he's totally ready to move out of the house. Trust me, he's so excited. But he's he's also legally blind, so there's that stress of trying to make sure that he's got what he needs there. So so I apologize now if my delivery's a little off. My knowledge is there going to work and yeah he already well he, outside of Pittsburgh in a sleepy little town out there Cranberry Township he works for the US government and they've been working at home remote for a year and a half so they're like you got to come in now so you got to pay high rent to come in the office once a week yeah. because you know oh, yeah. so as as is the case I think with a lot of people so so we're going on a weekend so we can um, you know, scope out a church, try to see if there's something that, some kind of community, I think, is good when you're sitting in your home working when you're a young person in that kind of town where it's like, you know, a lot of families and kids and you're 27-year-old single guy. So um, he won't listen to this recording, but he needs a girlfriend. Then I wanted to worry about him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, someone's like, you know, help you out, pick out your clothes when you go out and, you know, go out with. So, you know, I guess i say pray for that he gets a, a girlfriend or at least a group of friends. doesn't matter right. who they are. So, Yeah. So that's my story. But the thing is, I think we all have a story and it may not be your story this week, but it was your story last week or it'll be your story in two weeks where it just, um, a lot goes on around you. A lot of things that we all need to pray for each other because... Uh, when they're going on around you, you're part of it too. So we need to be that that strength sometimes for other people. And so um, I've given a lot of that this week, but I've received a lot of that this week. And so that's what's nice about having a church community. And I thought a lot about that getting ready for the lesson. Um, you know, that church community that they were building in the New Testament, and that and that group of Jewish believers. And now we're going to see that move out from the Jewish believers in, into the world, and how important that was when we talked about them giving up everything they had, selling their things, and and going all in for the Lord and and being there to support each other. So let's start with um, Marilyn's devotion. Stephen, the first martyr for the Lord. Around the time of Stephen, 63 to 70 AD, the number of disciples increased dramatically. Centuries earlier, Alexander the Great, in a watershed decision, decided declared the Greek language universal, and the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek and other geographically ad- adjacent languages. This translation, called the Septuagint, allowed for multitudes to read and understand the Bible, gaining many converts to Christianity. As the cultures assimilated, the Hellenistic or Greek Christians complained, their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, Acts 6. The twelve decided to amend the situation. Brothers, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables, Acts 6, 2, and 3. The biblical statement seems to have carried the torch far into modern times. Now we have a biblically-based excuse for no more waiting on tables. Let someone else do the dishes. All humor aside, Stephen, whose name means crown, was chosen to lead a group of seven disciples who would address this tenuous community need. Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power, did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Verse 8. Opposition rose against Stephen from from among the Jews from the synagogue of the freemen, the group of Jews who were part of the dispersion, the scattering of Jews when they were released from Babylon and Assyria and were violently opposed to the preaching of Stephen. They were extremely restive and hired protesters to rebuke and testify against his religious beliefs and the gospel truths he taught. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, the supreme tribunal headed by the high priest, for faith in Jesus whom he saw as Sanhedrin much more than simply a Jewish Messiah. Stephen had deep respect for Moses, for God's law, and the prophet's. But when he challenged the Sanhedrin um, and said, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resisted the Holy Spirit. You even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one and now have betrayed and murdered him. He tells us this as his audience of angry wolves gnashed their teeth at him. At this reflection, the crowds, like a pack of angry warthogs, rushed to, the stone, to stone him to death, and the hired rioters laid their clothes at the feet of none other than a young Saul who stood watching and smiling with satisfaction. As these stones racked his body and the blood dripped from his face, we see the same holiness and portrait of Jesus on the cross, and Stephen, who lay dying, repeated the same words as Jesus.' The stones lay in silent testimony to the great faith, trust, and grace at the courageous martyr Stephen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have so few opportunities to be a martyr for you, but through the Holy Spirit, please know that we, like Stephen and all other martyrs, would give our lives for your Son, Jesus, who martyred himself for us. Oh, that we will one day meet Stephen in heaven when it is our time and see him, aglow with the face of an angel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we are going to talk about Stephen today. Last time I taught this, I sort of skipped over. I didn't teach you. this. uh we're going to be in. Um, yeah, we're in. We're not in any study guide. There's no handout for this. I just talk, and you can write down what you want. So if you have the handout, that's from Margaret, and that's a good supplement to what I teach. Um, And if you miss a week, you could do that at home, but it doesn't go with what I'm teaching directly. So if you try to keep up with that, it's just going to confuse you. So just listen. If there's notes you want to take, you know, write them in your Bible. Um, We have some paper back there if you just want to grab a piece of paper. Um, In in a perfect world, I would have an exact outline, but... um, I change this as it goes as I'm getting ready for it, and it just it doesn't work for my teaching to have me to follow an outline exactly all the time, and so I just think you're going to get better teaching for me if it's you know it's like high school lecture, college lecture, you pick up what you want because a lot of this is going to be stuff you already know, and some of it will be new to you. Hopefully, there's a lot of new to you. Um, So, but we are starting in Acts, and we will be in Acts. 7. We're going to talk about Stephen. Uh, Actually, Acts 6, verse 8 is where we'll start. Mm -hmm. So anyways, when I taught it before to a small group, I kind of skimmed over Stephen's um, speech and just took out the highlights. And as I studied it more this time, I realized that even though what Stephen says is stuff we already know, it is so poignant for what he's trying to get across to to his enemies at this point that the people that are stoning him that I think it's 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 good to just kind of go through it each time into each verse. So I'm going to do that this time and I'll as we talked about last time it's easier if I read it it's better for the recording and it keeps it flowing well. So I'm going to read that. But let's start at 6 verse 8. Stephen sees and I'm reading out of the NIV so if you have that. Now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called, Joseph, of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. So here we have Stephen. We just learned earlier in verse six that he was one of the seven that was chosen. And just to give a brief uh, the recall from last time. But there were seven men chosen to help the apostles because they they realized that some of the women widows were being neglected, um, the Hellenistic widows, the the, the Greek widows, uh, and they weren't getting what they needed. It was not because of neglect. It just was a, a matter of there, there was so much to do, and the apostles were having trouble getting it all done. So they chose these seven men, these seven holy men, <coughs> Stephen being one of them, Philip being another, we're going to hear about him. And the other ones we don't hear about again, but we do hear more about Stephen and Philip. Uh, it, we, And Marilyn referred to it in her devotion too, that they said it is better for, for us not to be waiting on tables. It didn't mean that there was anything wrong with doing these tasks in a church. It, they're still very important and it enables the other people to get done what they need to be done. I that was kind of the verse I really thought about a lot this week because with the passing of Mike and being our head elder, he did so, so many little things in the church for my husband Randy to be able to do what he did as a pastor. And Mike was always there helping, always. Like he just loved it so much. And we had, um, we have this really old Bible that was in a, a bad place stored in church and it was falling apart. We tried to get it restored. I mean, like 400 years old, I think it was, um, it was just falling apart. And they said, this is just going to disintegrate, fall apart. It, it's basically going to be garbage in a few years. So what we did is we, the church took pages out and then actually, um, offered them to people for a donation for missions or, uh, t- to be able to take a piece and have it at home. So I took a piece and had it like framed, um, You know, so it doesn't fall apart. They did historically for however they do that. And the one I picked that I wanted was the one nobody else wanted this. It was this this story about a battle going on in the Old Testament. But it was the one where Moses, if Moses kept his hands up, they would be winning. And if he put his hands down, they would be losing. And so Aaron and her held up his hands. I got that for my husband, not that I would ever compare him to Moses. He would be so mad at me because he wouldn't (laughs) compare himself to Moses either. But what... The reason I chose that one is because of the people holding up his hands. I said, this congregation is like Aaron and her holding up your hands and being able to help you get done what you need to get done. And when they're not holding up your hands, you don't get done what you need to get done. And so that's what it was like with the apostles. Like they picked these men. And so Stephen, but early on in this, is now seized for preaching. And um, he was preaching in um, a synagogue. It's the first time we hear about the apostles preaching in a synagogue that you would hear about them in the temple, a synagogue is like your, basically your local congregation. And then you just have one temple. I, I, I've i always meant to do this, but to talk to some Jewish people, because I don't understand. I'm sure they're right on account of it's their religion, but we, you see temples around here. I don't understand what that means because I, I was always under the impression I had that one temple in Jerusalem and they're waiting for the temple to be rebuilt on the temple mound. That is, is the goal. And so I thought everything else then would be called the synagogue, but you hear things called temples here. So I don't know how that, um, that justifies itself with this. So if you ever have a chance to ask someone that goes to a temple, um, I think that would be just a side note, be inter- interesting. So this is the synagogue of the freedmen. That, that was a synagogue of people that used to be slaves. Um, this was in the area where, where Saul lived. And so very likely he could be here. We find out later that he, he was in this area. We'll see when Stephen gets stoned. So because Saul was a rabbi, we're going to hear a lot more about the background of Saul in our next lesson, but we're going to be introduced to him here. And this story of Stephen is really a bridge between, between Peter and Saul, between um, the uh, the Jews getting, uh, hearing the gospel and the Gentiles hearing the gospel. So Stephen is like the bridge. Then verse 11, um, I think it's us go back to verse 10, but they could not six, verse 10, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. So they're hearing him. They, he's basically, he knows more than they do about this. He's this Holy Spirit's in him. It's really hard to, to stand up against them no matter how, um how much they want to. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So the church leaders are are getting, uh they're getting a group of enemies together. They're, they're basically like kind of talking people into it, almost in a way hiring people to come in and be rioters. Like you actually see, unfortunately, these rides that happen on our country today, and they, they will interview, they go out on the street, interview where these people are from. These are these are people that come in, cross state lines to be part of this riot. And so we're getting this here. They're persuading some of these people to say things. Um, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, again, was, um, well, there was the Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there was the Grand San- Sanhedrin. But in every town, they had a Sanhedrin, too, of these of the Jewish leaders, chosen from high priests, elders, head of prominent families, scribes, lawyers, Pharisees, Sadducees. So they're in, in this local town in front of... Uh, They're going to be, he's going to be in front of the Sanhedrin. They produce witnesses who testify. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs as Moses handed down to us. So here's the charges against him. He spoke against Moses, which would be a very uh, grievous sin if you're an Old Testament believing Jew and he spoke against you know, against the laws, and he spoke against the holy place and the customs. And so what Stephen is going to do now is he's going to make his defense against all of these charges. Verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. And side note, there's about um, 390 to 400... Um, 80 different synagogues in the Jerusalem area at this time. So quite a few. And they were divided up kind of by criteria, like this one was the freedmen one. So um, now Stephen would be, like Marilyn said in the devotion, they were Greek speaking. So he would be speaking, uh, his his memorization of the scripture came from the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. Um, There's, if you're studying this even further than I'm going, there's a few differences between the Greek version and the and the Hebrew version. Um, very slight differences, so people will use that as a tool to say this is wrong or that's wrong. But when you really get into studying it, those things can all be um, clarified, and then they do actually come together. So um, I don't know how far you guys get into this, but I was starting to go down that rabbit hole and like <laughs> too far on that one. Um, you're going to see as I read through here, watch for some specific things. Stephen is going to point out a lot that there's blessings outside the land, outside the land that God has chosen for his people, outside the holy land, outside Jerusalem. Important that Stephen's doing this because he is an outsider. He's, in Hellen- he's a Hellenistic Jew. By the way, the Jews there's a lot of tension between the Jerusalem Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. The Jerusalem Jews have a big list of people they don't like, and the Hellenistic Jews are on that list. So there's that tension already that they don't like Stephen. Um, So he's going to talk a lot about that. You don't have to be there in Jerusalem. You that's not the only place God is. So we're going to see that come. come out quite a bit but he's going to use the old testament to prove his point because they're thinking that you have to worship at at the temple in jerusalem you have to do, do all the customs just like they're doing now so watch for that one um and he's going to also bring out that the gospel is um preached to the jews throughout the old testament meaning this promise of the messiah is there he's not making this up it's not something all of a sudden they made up that that jesus came and he's the fulfillment of everything that's promised and we know that through all the the prophecies, um, and he's going to again use the defense of the Old Testament patriarchs, um, and he's also going to point out this one gets them really mad how how they have sinned as church leaders, and. Um, Okay, okay, these are my, this is what I do. Like every time I come up with something new, I have my phone by my bed and I text myself at night and then come downstairs to my desk and make a little post-it note. So that's why, it's, it, that's why I realized that to, to keep studying the same thing in the Bible is okay because you worry like, oh, have they already heard that? Have they already studied that? But these are all my notes from the first time I did it and yet I still have to make all these other notes from the next time I studied it too. So even though it's only been one year apart, I'm learning some new things. So Stephen gives this speech to the Sanhedrin. It's, I believe, the longest dialogue in, in the Bible, the, the longest single dialogue, or close to it, but um, it, it's very long. Um, so this starts in chapter 7. And again, I said, I think it's worth going through the whole thing so you can see how he does this in defense, because now our defense for the gospel isn't going to be exactly the same, but I think it's worth worth figuring out what your defense of the gospel is. And I think if I don't give homework, but if I did give homework, I think that would be the thing. And that would be the takeaway from today because we have to defend it. And I think we find ourselves at a loss for words so many times or or we don't have a game plan. And so you see what Stephen's game plan is. He knew the Bible. And so game plan number one, know the Bible, you know, and game plan number two, he knew his audience and you have to know your audience. Um, Who are those unbelievers in your life? Who are the people that need to hear the gospel? But if you're not prepared it, you're not going, it's going to be harder. And of course, we pray to the Holy Spirit to give us that 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 guidance and that understanding of scripture. The Holy Spirit will give you understanding of scripture, but you need to know, you need to read the scripture and pray to the Holy Spirit as you do this. So having a game plan is good. Because although I don't ever feel like I'm going to be stoned for my faith, I think definitely we have this persecution going on and in our country, in every country where people live, they have religious persecution going on. And I think it's almost, in a way, some of that subtle persecution is is worse because we don't see it coming. And it's that slow drip, drip, drip. And for me, you know, I know I don't want to really offend that person. And I I want to show this is my my thing I use, which is 100% true and yet 100% my cop out. I just want to show the love of Jesus because it's all about love. It is. But I love my kids. It doesn't mean I let them do anything they want or believe anything they want. If you love somebody, you want them on the right track. So that often is my, you know, I don't want to offend them because Jesus is just love. So as long as I love everybody, I don't really have to say, you know, I don't really have to tell them the truth of God's word. Now, I also need to pray for the discernment and the guidance of the Holy Spirit because you just don't walk in a room and start telling people, you miserable sinner, you're not going to heaven. That's not how we do it either. But I think that's um, a conversation we have with the Lord through prayer and, and, and with the Holy Spirit, but, but having that game plan on how to do it. And I have found that the Holy Spirit will give you back those Bible verses when you need it. It's amazing. They come through, they come in your head, and you're like, oh, yeah. Most of them, I got to admit, also come in the form of VBS songs. And so <laughs> sometimes. Um, I was at the hairdresser one day and it's like, I really need to sing you this VBS song, but it's just not in the appropriate place. But, but it is a great way to memorize scripture through those songs. So yeah, and our hymns and everything. So that's good. Okay. So chapter seven, verse one. Then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? To this, he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. God said, and afterwards they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of 12 patriarchs. So he's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, talking about the forefathers. He's bringing to mind again that covenant that we had, that God's people had in the Old Testament. So he's um, showing them. He he knows the stories. He knows who these people are. He knows the covenant God had. Verse 9, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles and gave Joseph... Wisdom enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then the famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers out on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and the whole family, seventy five in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So they're claiming he's blaspheming against Moses. He's going to tell them the story of Moses, just just like it's written in the Bible. He's he's quoting the Bible to the people because that's the greatest defense. He also showed how God is with people even outside of their of Jerusalem, outside of the, the Promised Land. Twenty three. When Moses was forty years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made, your ruler, made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptians yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Moses is 40, 40, 40. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian, 40 years in the desert. So, um, verse 30. After Oh, it says that. I hear I thought I was throwing something at you. Verse 30 says it. Okay. Um, so much for my extra wisdom. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight, and he went over and looked more closely. He heard the the Lord's voice. I am the God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Again, God is on holy ground outside of the temple. Holy ground is where God is, not where the temple is. Because they're picking up, the Sadducees are picking up on these little things that he's saying because he's digging this at them. Then the Lord said to him, "'Take off your sandals. The place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt.' This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge. He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush." And the angel, so that's probably Jesus incarnate. It's not unangel, it's the angel of the Lord. He led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. (coughs) This is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. So here he's saying, okay, this Jesus idea did not come from us. This came from your Old Testament. This came from your Moses who you accused me of, of blasphemy. Um, when I spoke about him, so bringing it all back to this is already written. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him amount Mount Sinai and with our fathers. And he received living words to pass on to us. 39, but our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. And for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifice to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings? Forty years in the desert, O house of Israel, you had lived in a shrine of Molech and the star of your God, Repham the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our forefathers, oh, let me stop there. So again, they also know the other part of that story where um, the Levites killed, um, went around with swords attached to them and, and killed about 3,000 people for their disbelief. And they would have heard the story that 3, 000, about 3,000 people came to belief at Pentecost, which was the, the Feast of Pentecost, was also the feast of where you celebrate the giving of the law, the feast of weeks. So they know that those things are coordinating. Stephen keeps coordinating these things for them. So they're seeing this picture. And, um, I, and the Sanhedrin's not like, oh, yeah, we never thought of that way. You're right. They're like, no, they're getting madder and madder and madder at this point. Um, our four, Verse 44, Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joseph brought it with them when they took the land from, I'm sorry, under Joshua, brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David. He's talking about the tabernacle, the tent where they worship. And um, sometimes go back and, and read that account um, in, in, in the books of Moses. I, it's there a few times, and in Exodus specifically where I read it. Um, actually, I don't know if it's Exodus is one of those books. It goes so detailed on how God wanted that tabernacle made. It was all under the direction of him. Every, every single piece of it. God never said when they got to the promised land, now I need you to build a temple. That was not his idea. This was the idea of David. David asked him if he could build a temple. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked if he might provide the dwelling place for God. For the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. So it was it was a, a man's idea to build the temple and actually became the undoing of Solomon um, when he became he had all those riches and started um, worshiping false gods so um, that God's dwelling was in that tabernacle in the wilderness outside of Jerusalem. So not that God wasn't present in the temple, but um, what Stephen again is saying, God is, the the holy ground is where God is. Verse 49, heaven is my throne. Oh, verse 48. However, the most high does not live in a house made by men, as the prophet says, and he's quoting Isaiah here. Um, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So God's in heaven, And then um, Stephen um, uh, goes in to really insult them. He's saying, verse 51, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts. Uncircumcised hearts are saying that you're not um, in that uh, uh, relationship with God that you need to be, that covenant relationship. Um, You're uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through the angels, but have not obeyed it. So then we get to the stoning of Stephen. Um, Stephen's going to see Jesus. This is verse 45. He's the only one actually recorded here seeing Jesus in this stature next to the heavenly father. Um, so verse 54 when they heard this they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God Jesus is standing at the right hand of God when someone is standing and not sitting at someone's right hand standing indicates there's more work to do so Jesus had more work to do He's preparing for his second coming. He's not done. He's not sitting at the right hand of his father here. So they would understand that, that, the standing thing. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He doesn't say other people saw it. We don't know that, but it seems like Stephen is just seeing that. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is chilling. Here's Saul standing there. It's not recorded that he said anything, that he did anything. He's just standing there observing what had happened. He is going to be their leader. It was common that when you would go out to do the work of stoning someone, you would take off your outer garments like to give you more flexibility whatever to do the stoning. They were not allowed by law to stone someone. The Jews were not under Roman law, except if, if it was a temple offense because because the temple had its own justice system under the Sanhedrin. So that's why they're allowed to kill somebody in in Roman society and get away with it. Verse 58, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he said this, when he had said this, he fell asleep. So it's so reminiscent of Jesus on the cross, father forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. So Stephen is asking for the forgiveness. He fell asleep. I think this was God from my study is yeah, very merciful that the lord took him right away because stoning can take a long time and of course obviously it would be very painful. So the lord took him right away. So um so what this is doing also is it's it's going to now scare the people and the gospel is going to spread. But it, it negatively, it really scared the Jews in, in the Jerusalem area. And they're not all like, they're kind of turning away. Now they're like, eh, we're not going to do this. We're not going to follow him. And so you're going to see slowly happening through Acts is that this church movement now becomes a Gentile church movement. And um, it's going to start here with Stephen and then with Philip. And we're going to see Philip uh, and just on a side note of the martyrs, um, tradition, we use a lot of tradition to figure out what happened with the martyrs and tradition comes from words being passed down, but also writings of other historical leaders at the time. And there's a lot of, his, there's a lot of history that goes with the, with the Bible that's not in the Bible, it's not an inspired word. And so people have studied that, especially like people like Josephus to see what, uh, tradition is it happened to the other apostles, so tradition has it that they were uh, martyred. Um, we do see in a, in a few chapters that james he is mentioned in the Bible as being martyred by the sword. The rest we do not know what happens to them from the sources of the Bible so and some of the of the uh, theologians will differ in it, but we see that all the possibility of John um, are all martyred. John lived to be um, to a very old age. He was, um, on the island of Patmos. Um, he was exiled there for preaching the gospel. Um, then most certainly according to theologians, he didn't die there. He went back to Ephesus. There are still some theologians who found, found, um, I wouldn't say proof, but, um, uh they found some writings that said that John also was martyred. So we don't know on that one. The other one, it seems like people are pretty much in agreement that they were martyred in very awful ways, crucified or by this by the sword. Um and I think it's pretty common belief that Peter was crucified upside down because Jesus predicted that Peter was going going to to be martyred and die and crucified, but tradition has it that it was upside down because he felt himself too unworthy to be um, died the same way Jesus did. So um, but definitely it, it would be uh, probably right on track to believe that they were martyred for their faith as, as the most un- outspoken people in at, in Bible times. And who starts this persecution? Saul. So verse eight is at the beginning, it says, Uh, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Um, it doesn't say he put them to death, but we're pretty sure as we read into Paul that 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 was the result for some of this that they were probably they probably died. It says the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They did. They were the the Jerusalem church, but we have people like um like Philip going out in, into the world. <clears throat> um, some say that when Paul talks a lot about the cross he has to bear, and some people think that's a, maybe a physical. Um, malady that he has but others say that it could also be that that weight he has around his neck that he was responsible for the persecution of so many followers of the lord so which is i would say um even if that's not the one he's talking about that had to weigh heavy on him because he comes one of them was arguably the most prolific spreader of the gospel but yet he started out killing these people so um just going to read you a little bit about Philip and Samaria, and then I'm going to talk about who the Samarians are. So Philip in Samaria, chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Down is anything away from the temple is down. When you're going to the temple, it'll say in the Bible they went up, and when they're going away from the temple, it's going down. And he proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics, and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. And there are some other stories we'll talk about next week about a sorcerer and about the, how the apostles had to come down and witness this for themselves. But I want to go back, if you want to go back with me, to John 4, to the story of the woman at the well. Yes. What do you say about going up and down? When you see in the Bible it says like he went down to Samaria, that means when you're going away from the temple, the Bible will say you're going down somewhere. And when the Bible says they went up to Jerusalem, it's because they're going toward the temple. So I don't know if that's going to change your life knowing that. It's just it was interesting. <laughs> Little study of words there. So um so we're going to talk about the woman of the well in John 4. The it's important, and and Jesus says that's I'm just, i to down. Let me go back for you. You don't have to follow this one if you want to go to John 4. But Jesus says in the beginning of Acts, when Luke is talking about Jesus' last words to the disciples before he's taken up into heaven, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Samaria is, is called out specifically because the Jews hated the Samarian, to Samaritans. That's why when you, the story of the Good Samaritan has even more relevance because when you know that the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. And the reason is the, the Jewish people basically thought the Samaritans were the counterfeiters of Judaism. They, were, they called them half-breeds. And this came because, um, well, the, the, the Holy Land is divided into, into two parts, the, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. Israel is the Northern Kingdom with Samaria as the capital, and Judea is a southern kingdom, with Jerusalem as the capital. A lot about this in the Old Testament, if you want to do your own further study. But in in 722 BC, the Assyrians conquered the northern Israel, uh, the the northern kingdom. The leaders were captured, and the Assyrians brought in foreigners to intermix um, and mingle with this remnant that was left. So what you had now is cultural and religious differences mixing with the very strict religious practices of the Jewish people, of the ancient Jewish people. So um, now they have some of Moses' laws, but they don't always interpret everything the same. They have their own temple. They also have false gods mixed in there. So you can see why the purity of Jesus, uh, you know, God's chosen people is like, Aunt, we don't really like you. You are half breeds. Um, the Babylonians um, uh, had a conquest of, of um, the southern kingdom. And when they were free and they returned, the, the Jewish people rebuilt the temple because that had been destroyed by the Babylonians and they wouldn't even let the, the Samaritans help. Because, um, you know, they did not like them. So Samaria is, when we hear the Samaritans, it's like a region of people more than a specific city. Um, So, and then we're also going to see Ethiopia come into play in this really, really briefly of the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And when the Ethiopians come into play in our next lesson, it's just a way of, again, uh, it's almost a different kind of people than the Gentiles. Because they're they're they know the Jewish laws, they worship the Jewish God, um, but they don't they don't know um, they don't know Jesus yet. So so before we get to the Gentiles, we're going to have to go to these other groups. But the Samaritans is the big one, and this is how deep this goes. In John four, Jesus is going to talk to the Samaritan woman. This is the longest dialogue recorded that Jesus did with Samaritan woman. And what I love, too, is it's a dialogue with a woman. People say that, like, the Bible's got to be made up, and, you know, by the writers. There's so many. You would not, back when, when this was written, and we know how old the Bible is from, at least from going to, like, the Dead Sea Scrolls. We know it's ancient, even going back that far. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be writing about women, it, like, a, a, a mortal writer would not write about a woman to get his point across. But Jesus never discerned with that. Like he never looked down on women, so even like when the women find the empty tomb, if you're making that up, women were not allowed to be witnesses to stuff. Why would you be putting them in there to prove your point? But but Jesus, Jesus doesn't look at it that way. So he's going to have this dialogue with this woman to really show, um, kind of foreshadowing what's going to come up and why we have to, um, why they have to go to the Samaritans. So John four starting in verse one, um, yeah, starting right in the first one. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Usually people would avoid, Jewish people would even avoid going through that area. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey. sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus asked her, will you give me a drink? Uh, She was like, so, okay, she didn't even have people helping her. So she's coming at the sixth hour when all the other people are gone because she's a Samaritan and she knows what people think of her. Um, His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. She wasn't saying, I'm too good for you. She was saying, I know you think you're too good for me. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sure, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father's Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. See, he's talking just like Stephen did about God is not on the land because this was such a big deal that the Samaritans could not be part of the building of the temple. And he's saying, no, that's not where you have to worship. And He's showing her that he's obviously, she thinks he's a prophet, but he's obviously not just a regular Jewish man coming for water. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship your father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And so, um, she goes on to declare that um, Jesus is God. The, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I who speak to you and he. So here Jesus is going to the Samaritans also. And so th- this is not, you know, this is not just a couple years of hatred, um, not, not some racial tension we see just building up. This is, this is Generation after generation of generation of, of these, these groups of people not liking each other. So that is um, going to come into play. So we have that background. Okay, any thoughts, questions? Yes? I just wanted to go back. I have my iPad with me. So yes. I looked up the differences between temple and synagogue and tabernacle. Yes. And the the temple is, is no more. Correct. Right. right yes. Um, the spot that it was on is now owned by Muslims, and they will. Not yes, do the temp- the most so, the most uh, fought after the most coveted piece of land, uh, arguably I would say left. on the earth. Right. Yes. So um, nowadays, the synagogue is a gathering place. Mm-hmm. But. Especially, you know, there's, there's Orthodox Jews, there's Conservative, and there's yeah. Reformed Jews. Mm-hmm. And so, especially the Reformed Jews call any place they worship a temple.
1: Okay, so that's when what speak my you a Jewish yeah. person, you might not know if they are
0: Reformed or, yeah. or not. But if they're speaking of the temple, they're more likely to be Reformed Jews. Wait, okay, that makes sense, sense because it seems like the very Orthodox Jews, do, I bet the Orthodox Jews then probably don't call theirs a temple. They would probably just right. say, Thank you for 80 looking 80 that up. 80 80 yeah. Okay. So, uh, like our Christian religions too, we have the more like you know the more liberal groups probably that would say things differently. Thank you, because I've always so kind of I don't wondered. Why know. Well, I I know. know, And it's like every time I think it's of looking it up, yeah. every time I think of looking it up, I'm like yeah. in in the midst of something sure like this, is. and I didn't get that chance I mean, to do it. I think we would cross paths most often with Reformed Jews, I, at least I the, would think. The, yeah, and we have a bigger temples. Would be in, yeah. yeah. We had yeah. remember back we had a group of women that were Reformed Jews that came to hear the Bible study. They wanted to learn. Wow. And it was uh, it was really wonderful to have them and have them say their yes. and what they wanted to learn. And exactly. And were so eager to learn. Exactly, because even if, right, even if you don't believe another religion or, well, the continuation of their religion. You want to know about it, like I like I remember taking classes in college on you know world religions. It's not like I'm gonna I was going to be a Buddhist after the class was over, but you just want to know what other people believe, and um, because I think when you find common ground, it's a lot easier to spread the gospel of Christ if you have something there to to, to have in common first, and so you can always find that with people that something in common. So, mm-hmm. Judy. This woman at the well doesn't know she's talking to the Son of God. I know, not until the There's very such a end. Here. Yes, to the and very end, make then he said. He point of telling anybody how important he was. Yeah. He was just showing who he is. Exactly. He didn't come and say, hey, I'm the Son of God, get me some water. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he wanted to show that love to her first. Even Jesus didn't lead with, I'm Jesus. So um, that's, I think, an example to us, you know, kind of, he led with the love. But he didn't walk away until he did the I am Jesus thing. And so maybe that's a good model right there. You know, lead, lead with the love and the understanding and then talk about Jesus, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and realize that it takes time too. First, they have to see who you are. Because if they don't see Jesus through you, they're not going to hear Jesus through you. So I just made that up. It's That's not on Google. Bloggers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right I know, I just, right, I just, I quote me, so you can quote me on that one. I don't even remember what I just said, because I can, I can tell you what I said last month, but 30 seconds ago, I have a little trouble with nowadays, and I think some of you can relate, the short-term things. so, yes. So, any other comments? Any other comments on how, any of your experiences with kind of spreading the gospel? I One of the notes, it says, and I'm sure that we've all, up on it, but water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So yeah. when you were going to the well, he wanted her. Oh to. yes, no, that's a good point. Absolutely, he wanted her to have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, I know that, and I've heard that, but I don't often. I kind of forgot to put that in in, in context of that too, in my own mind too, too. But yes, but um, can I ask what Bible you're reading from? I like that New International Version. Is that what you have? Yeah, um, just because that's. The Bible I have but I just I, I like that translation I like how it flows but um, you know there's other good ones too mm-hmm. obviously everybody's got ones that they like the best so I like the ideal one is that parallel one, but though they're so big, and then you don't have any room for writing notes in there or anything. And they make such great Bibles now with the Bible bookstores. If you're, but it's hard, I think, at our ages to get a new Bible because you have notes in your old one. But they make such nice ones with actual margins in that you can take notes in. And I think that's good. I know good. Margaret had her Bible redone three times. Oh, wow. because she had all those. Yeah, things. you don't want to take them out. So, yeah. So, yeah. I just think it's remarkable how long that you, you commented that it might be the longest dialogue in the Bible, Stephen's speech to the Ephesians. That they let him keep going. You know, that that's they, a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Just, he had that opportunity to speak so much, and and I mean, it it ends up that I mean, I, I I don't know if anybody can relate to this, but when someone's talking to you and you've kind of decided you disagree with them on the first thing they say, yeah, like stop listening. Or just find fault in everything that you hear. And then there's those people that are better at listening. So maybe all that time, there were those that did, that were persuaded, that weren't the loud voices at the end that right. you know, picked up the stones.
1: And but maybe like it's that.
0: part of the process of getting to defend yourself. You're allowed mm-hmm. to speak it out. But I'm telling you, never once in my marriage has either one of us gotten a dialogue this long. No. <laughs> like, like, never, <laughs> never. We try to refute it. We're two lines in, and the other ones refuting their own point. So, true, so, so yeah, that's a good point. That it is very long, and he got to go through and refute all of all of the charges that yeah. that were against him. And yet, even though he had great. Uh, arguments they, they still stoned him anyway they were so angry with him yeah. so I think more angry with him that he could refute I'm just guessing more angry that he could refute the charges than that he they said he did them in the first place because yeah. he had a really good argument for all of them yeah but it created text for us to to yeah. read to hear to you know it did it did and like I said the first time I, I taught I thought oh, we know this part oh, we don't need to go through it again But you see what he's trying to do when you read through it and how he uses that, um, you know. um, Yeah. Okay. So we close with prayer. Does anybody want to close with prayer for us? Then I can do that. But I always leave that open to you guys. That would be helpful to me. And always nice to hear your voices too. So let's hold our hands. Mm -hmm. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us together once again with this group of godly women to study your scripture even deeper and, and learn the meaning you have for us in, in our day and age, that we may go out and be unashamed of the gospel like Stephen and face our foes and our opponents and our doubters and preach your word, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, that we may go to heaven. Please be with all of those that are grieving today because there's something in everyone's life right now that, that is sad that on, on this earth, but on the other side of heaven, thank you for welcoming so many new people in into your presence lately. Be with all of us that are traveling. Be with all of us that are the rocks to other people that are going through stuff. All of those of us that are sick and all the things that we have in our hearts, Lord, please listen to us. Be with us and answer them and answer our prayers in the way that you see fit. In your name we pray. Amen. amen.